0: everybody. It is Contextualize. I am AJ. This is Jim. Here. We're back. Here. Here. Present. Here, here, here present. ye. Here ye. Man. Do you think
1: they still do that in our kids' schools? Present? I don't know. You know, go down the line and read your name and present, present. I don't know. I mean... They don't care if they're there or not. <laughs> Just kidding. Anyway, I'm here. AJ's here. Good.
0: We're present. This is the our present to you. This, yes. This podcast. Yes. I guess. Man, well, um, before we jump into our text, uh, we we're just thinking about
1: how... Some fodder?
0: Yeah, like there's some similarities between what we do on the podcast Yeah, and other contexts here at the church, like community group or a Bible study or a class or a sermon. Yeah, and so this week, I'm doing sermon prep, and you're... Well, you're not doing sermon prep for this week. You're, you're actually looking yeah, ahead. Yeah, I've been, I've been working ahead on a few passages. Yeah, so let me just ask you, uh, as a regular weekly preacher, what does prep yeah. look like? And, and you can answer that however you want, but what does a week of preparation for sermon look like for you?
1: Yeah, so let's skip altogether the fact that we've probably done some work as a group two or three weeks ahead of time because we do our word work together and we go through questions. What I do on the week of mm-hmm. when it's just me and my study is i usually start with the structure of the text yeah. and just look at it um and what's the shape of it is it a narrative what's the climax of it yeah. is discourse what are the arguments being made by the by the yeah. people conversing yeah um but i want to see it written out on hand i use my <coughs> journal to do that usually um i don't want to get into writing something too quickly and typing it out i want yeah. to look at it on a piece of paper Um, and as I told you, one of my coming back from sabbatical things is I'm trying to, I write in my new journal only in pencil and that's served me actually in my heart more than I probably have realized. I've just, Hmm. I erase stuff. I don't like what I had. Things don't need to be permanent. The only thing permanent is the living, abiding word of God. Um, My thoughts about it don't need to be permanent. So in pencil, I'm writing out the structure. How do I see it? And then I usually stare back at it. And this is Jim. I don't know about for you, but Uh I feel like usually a sermon outline comes Close to that point. Yeah. Um, But for me, sermon writing is an endpoint process. So usually I like kind of, okay, I see the outline. Where do I want this to land at the end? Right? So what's the argument for the hearers? Where's my target? Of course, do I want to present the... (laughs) The, the the gospel. I mean, it's got to be gospel centered. But is my emphasis on what Jesus has accomplished going to be at the beginning of the sermon, the middle of the sermon, uh-huh. the end right. of it? It's right. going to be throughout uh-huh. all the points. So a lot yeah. of it's kind of going on. I'm percolating on that in the background.
0: Yeah. Um, if the
1: church has seen me draw like the cross with a little crown on top of it, like and mm-hmm. you know, I, th- I draw that on my notes all the time. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this is probably where I think I'll include mm-hmm. that. So yeah, structure. And then I actually, if I can get out of a week on a Monday with a stru- with a sermon outline. Then I'm putting that on my computer, on a Word document. I'm beginning to just add yeah. things. Yeah. The next thing I do on Tuesdays to Wednesdays is I usually start reading commentaries, see if I'm on to something or not on to yeah. something at all. Yeah. Is there either people that would say, read it differently, yeah. or do I find some really helpful insights that I need to include in my sermon? Right. And then I'll just drop them in right as I go. Yeah. And so my personal habit is to read a commentary, maybe two maximum. Then I sit at my computer and I look at what I just read and be like, oh yeah, what he said about verse three. Mm-hmm. I would, I want to, I want to make sure yeah, that I clarify yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And I decide whether I'm going to quote that person there, or I'm going to take a little bit of what they said and actually turn, spin it my own way right. because yeah. I see it a little different. Yeah. Um, and then I might read two more commentaries later and do the whole thing. Okay. So I don't write point one on Tuesday, point two on Wednesday, point three on Thursday. And some people do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm more the whole thing all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I do, which is very different than our podcast. <laughs>
0: Because we don't have a working outline of what uh, we're doing right now. Uh, we have not for,
1: tried to structure we, the text.
0: We know what text we're jumping into, and that's about it. But that's, I mean, that, you know, basically each of these different contexts is different. And so, right, yeah. preparing for a sermon, to lead a small group, to teach a class, they all at least have some similarity that I think for you and I, we want to we be re- like prepared with clarity, with an outline, with knowing where we're going. Like it's, it's very much prepared. What we're doing here um, is, is unprepared yeah. in a lot of ways. I mean, we're, we don't spend time thinking through this ahead of time. We've Now, Genesis, we've looked at a lot of these texts over the past years, and so there's a lot of stuff right. there. But we're not preparing specifically for this podcast. But why is that?
1: Well, I think it's very important. So if, let me just use um, a timeline to show the difference. Let's say a sermon is anywhere between 7 hours and 25 hours a week. Yep. I mean 15 is a good goal I think sometimes I'm less than that sometimes it's more if it's a wrestling text we don't even spend I don't even spend 10 minutes to prepare for this podcast <laughs> enough time to read it right? and I think the reason for that is we want the listener to hear us just talk about the living and abiding word of God yeah. Yeah. it never returns void yeah. um, I listened to our last two Genesis podcasts over the last couple of days just to hear them again there's things that I thought, ah, oh, I could have said that way. That wasn't spoken very clearly. Yeah. Other things, nobody else knows, but I'm like, I didn't know we were going to talk about that. Yeah. Like, I'm so glad that you said something. I was able to play off of what you said. Yeah. And so I think there's something, too, we're trying to <clears throat> model and live out that if we talk about the Word of God in its context, God, by His Holy Spirit, will apply it to our context. Yeah. And we've had a few podcasts here. I guess it was one of the last two, particularly. I felt like, man... That was as effective and mm-hmm. fruitful as a well-studied sermon. Yeah. As far as some of the things I felt like we were led to touch, the way we talked about them in a very um, appropriate, I think, contextual way. Yeah. And I was like, who knew? Yeah. The whole thing from front to finish took 42 minutes, and that includes AJ setting up our very sophisticated equipment. <laughs>
0: Plug in the mic. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. And the whole thing's done. We just did it. And people are you know, yeah. communicating with you and I about maybe the impact and the helpfulness of it. But it's far and away different than yeah. ten to twenty hours a week studying something and saying, "Lord, help me get the words exactly right," in preparation for this upcoming Lord's Day. Yeah. Totally different. Yeah,
0: yeah. And this is, I and mean, I think what we're doing here is really just like a live dialogue. Uh, I mean, I know it's not live as people who are listening, but we're not editing it. We're not preparing. It's just this is just let's just open up the Word and talk about it. Um, yeah. And so it's that's the that's just what we're trying to do, and hopefully that's helpful both. As you hear this, listeners, but also even in just modeling, we're just having a conversation about the Word and seeing where the Lord will lead us.
1: I was just in a meeting with somebody who at least twice, and I don't know this person incredibly well, but at least twice they quoted Scripture and they explained why they quoted that Scripture as part of just their regular talking. I was very refreshed by Mm. it. I realized how much study they probably have had to do in order for them to sit there, but I was like, they could have made their point without quoting Scripture. They weren't doing it in a way to be authoritarian or anything. It was just helpful to me. Yeah. And I think that that's what I want to pursue more often is as a pastor, I want us to be helping our people realize that we can just talk about Scripture or we can have Scripture influence our conversations in our everyday talking. Yeah. And it's super fruitful. Yeah. And God is faithful. And it doesn't necessarily require hours and hours and hours and hours of study to say one decent thing. Right. What does it look yeah. like for just Christians to... I mean, Peter quotes from the prophets when he says, basically, young men, you're going to have the Spirit working yeah. in you. Ladies, yeah. you're going to have the Spirit yeah. working in you. Right. Children, you will have the Spirit right. working all in you. God's and people. you can all just talk about God's work and word yeah. by the Spirit's helping you. Is that yeah. Acts 2, I yeah. think? Yeah. That was very poorly sung. And Joel too. Yeah. It, yeah. Peter's quoting from Joel. Yeah. yeah. But there's something to that. There's yeah. a vibrancy to it, and that's what we want to have happen yeah. here. That's good. All
0: right. Genesis 3. So, the uh, the story so far, Genesis one and two, has been very good, right? The the and we've we've seen that word. I thought good. you were talking
1: about our podcast. No, the story up to this point has been. Very, I don't know about the podcast. Each,
0: each can be their own judge of that, but
1: no, <laughs> the actual God's creation God story.
0: Got it. And and, and really, I mean, it, using the word "good" there very purposefully, like that's been the yeah. word throughout all of chapter one and two. The only time we've seen not good is whenever God saw that man was alone, but he remedied that, and it was good. And so, Genesis 1 and 2, it's good. Genesis 3, it, the story just drastically, drastically changes.
1: Yeah, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So, straight away, we have a particular beast of the field that God had made mm-hmm. be called out, be isolated... And we learn that things are not all perfect.
0: Yeah. And so he approaches the woman and says, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, I mean, just we, yeah, there's so much we can go into. Here, I know. But he's, he, his question is, is questioning what God has said, right? Did right. God actually say this? Yeah. And so, I mean, it's, the question isn't so much about, it's not merely about, the tree. It's about what did God say? Did God really say this? Like that that's the, the root of it here.
1: Right, and she responds with Let me tell you what God said. God said we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, and God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But we'll talk about that in a second. But yeah. I do find it to be interesting that Satan's first interaction with image bearers of God is To seek to cause them to question what God said.
0: Yeah.
1: And that is, how many things are we looking at as a church right now and as the church broader, where people we love, where people, their main issue is, I don't believe what the word says. Uh Like, that's the main thing. I do not believe that God would say that. Or I do not, I believe He said this, but not that. Right. We're a. Revelation questioning people. <laughs> yeah, made in the image of the God who should not be questioned, and yeah. yet sin is the yeah is the doing of that. Yeah. and temptation is the tempting toward that. Right. and here we have it. Well, it's it's, it's interesting. You were talking about your
0: sermon earlier, so I was working on my sermon earlier, uh, like two hours ago. I'm sorry for
1: rudely not asking you if you're. No, that's that, that, <laughs> that's not my point. But
0: um, yeah, this Sunday we're going to be looking at the parable of the sower and what Jesus teaches there. And one of the one of the things I'll say, or it's at least in my notes, so we'll <laughs> see, is that Christianity is inherently a, a word based religion. Yeah. And it's just it's interesting to see that here in Genesis three, that right, God speaks back in chapter two, and then here in chapter three, the first temptation is about the very words that God has said. It's attacking the words, it's doubting the words, it's questioning the very words that God has
1: given. I think it reminds me of what we've already looked at in Matthew lately. Jesus says to the Pharisees, basically, you know, another sign is not going to change much. Yeah. You've yeah. not believed, you've doubted, you've dismissed the signs I've made up till now. Or yeah. Yeah. You say the same thing about the word that's been revealed. Right. Uh, more words right. about more things of God, well, you don't believe the things that have been revealed. Yeah, and so Satan has started right out of the gate yeah. to challenge those made in God's image with doubting, the yep. word of God, and so maybe we can and uh-huh. should jump straight. Do you want to do big summary and then like look at some of the things we haven't talked about this? Like, should we look know, at what man. Eve says?
0: I, I was that's where I was going to go. Well, let's go but. straight to what Eve says, so. okay? So, what's weird about it, AJ? Well, she, what's right about it is she, she begins to quote chapter 2, verse 16. Um, which interestingly, back in chapter 2, when God says that, that's before he makes one, because uh, that happens in verse 18 or begins to happen in verse 18. And so God gives this command to Adam. Adam presumably passes this along to Eve. And then in chapter 3, Satan comes to Eve, right. not to Adam directly. Uh, now he's there. We see that. But later. the
1: implication but that is between the lines there is the Adam yeah. has shared the word of God with his wife. Yeah.
0: Yep, yep. But then, so she quotes what God said back in chapter two sixteen. But then she adds, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, if you look back up at chapter 2, verse 16, uh, verse 17, the, the guy just says don't eat of it. There's there's no mention of touching there. But Eve seems to. I mean, for, I don't see any other way to take it, I guess. E- Eve adds this injunction against touching as well.
1: Yeah, so if we were to just unpack simply that added phrase, neither shall you touch it. Um, I think with me, uh, with, uh, of my children. Yeah. And the fact that we as parents are often looking for patterns. And, and we want to show that. Like, this is what you're doing. Like, not yeah. just this time. It happened yeah. yesterday. It happened yeah. And this is the beginning of a pattern that is going to inflict God's people yeah. from here to yeah. now. Yeah. I mean, you think of how often Jesus is addressing the Pharisees and saying, you know, you kind of... Twisted up what God you, said. You added something there. You've added yeah. something particularly. Yeah. Yeah. You've added something. Yeah. You're fencing yep. the freedoms in that God has given
0: you. Is, I mean, I think on a at least on a human level, I mean, there, there's a, like, I can relate. I can understand this. Like, well, if it's bad to eat it, like, yeah, let's just not even touch, touch it. it. Like, let's just add that to it. That seems safer. Yep. But to say that's what God said is actually to misquote God, which is a pretty serious thing. So then we get verse 4. The serpent responds, you will not surely die. Now, <laughs> he begins, his first question was, right, did God actually say? So it's a, a question. Now he says you will not surely die. If we look back up at chapter 2, verse 17, God says, In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So this is a flat-out denial. Courting of
1: God and denial of what God yeah, says. just so like God
0: yes. has lied to you. Now, I'm not just questioning him now. I'm calling God a liar. And he goes on, For God knows when you eat it, your eyes will be open, you'll know good and evil. That's, that's verse 5.
1: Do you think that's, uh, I mean, obviously Satan lies about you will not surely die. Yes, you will. Not necessarily in that moment, but you will die. Yeah. Next question I have, though, is I've often wondered if Satan's tempting something, Eve was something that he can actually sort of make come true. like like. Yeah, okay. what do you mean? Yeah. At one okay. level, because of her giving into this yeah a world of hurt of what is good and what is bad that she would not have otherwise known yeah she now will know right, right. you're gonna know the world of torment and pain of what is good that you can't have yeah. of what is bad and what is worse bad and what is uh-huh. you know uh-huh. unbearably bad yeah. yeah in a way Satan's saying, God's keeping from you his holiness and his goodness. So he's trying to make her think she'll miss the other side, but because she ate of the tree she wasn't supposed to eat it from, right. she actually does have this tormented, oh, yeah. now good and evil. Yeah. And the war of it is your reality. Right, Eve. right. I just wonder if, if he's not in, intimating if, that if there's, there's a kernel something, truth there. Kinda, something's about yeah, to happen. Yeah, that, there's a sense in which. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of just neither here nor there. But. Yeah.
0: Well, the, one of the other things that I think is really helpful to see in verse five. Well, uh, two things, mate. Verse four, right, he, he calls God a liar. And then verse five, he he, he assigns some motive to God. Mm. God knows that. Yeah, you know, like yeah that's all false. God's keeping something from you. Yeah, that's all false. So he's not only calling God a liar, but implying that he's bad or doesn't have her best interest, you know, that kind of thing. But then. Uh, it says, uh, knows that when you eat of your eyes, will be open and you will be like God. Like, it's like, dude, did you, or Eve, Adam, did y'all not know what happened in chapter 1 when God <laughs> created you in his image? To make you to be like, like him? <laughs> like, Satan's promise, or kind of promising, or implying something that's already true. Like, they are like God in being made in his image, but that's kind of what Satan's holding out here. Yeah. You can eat this and be like God. But they
1: already are. Yeah. So, so they, but they take the bait. The way things stack here, so I'll just keep going, because yeah. I think that's a very helpful observation. Look now in verse 6. You. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes, it probably had already been that to her. She just mm-hmm. hadn't noticed it. Yeah, yeah, right, right? right. Then the tree, and if the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. Okay. Yeah. We'll talk about Adam being with her in a second, but just my gut thought here is: isn't this interesting how the first thing that Satan does is cause mankind to question God then he yeah. overtly lies about what God has said and then the next thing in the struggle with sin is the heart of man attaches itself to desires for that which is not to be desired right so not every yeah. struggle that you or I have comes from outside of us yeah right Right. there's a point at which temptation yeah. is internal and external James writes about yeah. it well yeah. let me tell you why you quarrel because you don't get what you want yeah well, it seems like all of a sudden she has this epiphany that what God has prohibited is really something she desires. Yeah. And it She wants what God hasn't given. Yeah. 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 And the testing of the word doubting of the word, yeah. the lying about what God had said. Yeah. It all builds up to that. Yeah. That's 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 good. Um, right, well, and then oh go ahead. I was just ask you. The significance of Adam being with her when she ate. What are your thoughts there? Yeah,
0: well, I, I mean, I, I'll give two thoughts. I think one would go back, as is already done, to chapter 2, 15 to 17, yeah. right? The, the the command, or the, the charge God gives in chapter 2, 15 is work and keep the garden, uh, which, again, talked about last time. That's not merely being a gardener, but it's protecting the garden as God's temple. It's a priestly duty. And then God gives the command there to Adam. And so... For this to be under Adam's nose, or, or beside his nose, right? <laughs> he's right there while all this is happening. Um, shows that he is is passively not fulfilling the very duty God has given him to fulfill. His helper is there, being attacked, being tempted, and he's just watching. Yep. Like he's he's not helping his helper or protecting
1: his helper. I don't know when the observation started to happen, but. And I don't, we don't really watch regular TV anymore. I guess it still exists. But, um, <laughs> you know, like sitcoms and stuff like that back in the day? You know, people have written and people have observed that the father figure in many more modern shows, he's sort of a doof, mm-hmm. he's passive, yeah, he just right, kind of gets right. run over, he gets made fun of, right. and he's not... And he's a comedic guy. Yeah. In fact, he's not anything close to toxic masculinity. He's, he's, <laughs> it's it's, it's, a, it's either that or it's the opposite. Yeah, yeah. But... Instead of just saying, oh, look, Hollywood's decided to make the man look neutered and like he doesn't really care to help. It's right here. Yeah. He's right there. And he doesn't lead. He doesn't love. He doesn't serve. He doesn't sacrifice. He doesn't do the things that he could be doing. And he's the one who God actually originally spoke to prior to Eve even being created. So I think there's something to, I mean, I don't like the caricature, but I think it's expressing that which... Yeah. Exists in a sinful world, and we see right here in Genesis. 2. Well, yes, that's that's
0: that's helpful. I think um, I don't like the caricature, caricature either, and maybe it's partly because the caricature is done in a comedic fashion, or even that i mean, in some ways, it's kind of a, a held up as an ideal. Uh, in some ways, it could, but like what we're seeing here is it's tragic. Yeah, like yeah. there's a weight to that passive, onlooking—that's not fulfilling. Yeah. So like duty, he's been given.
1: It's totally tragic. Yeah. And an example of what we were saying at the beginning of the podcast, you did not know I was going to bring up sitcoms, and I don't think we've no. ever talked about sitcoms no. in our life together. So. Check it off the list. <laughs> we got it. But it is interesting. Those are the kind of connections we want to make yeah. as we think about yeah. how does the Word of God yeah. inform what we're seeing in our world around us. And yeah. what our world around us doesn't do is it doesn't emphasize nor care necessarily about the yeah. tragic reality yeah. of mankind yeah. not being as God's made us to be. Yeah. So, Yeah. Yeah, so then verse 7, there's the consequence. Mm-hmm. Not the punishment yet, but the consequence. <clears throat> right. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked.
0: Yeah. Well, that, that kind of comes back to where you were talking earlier. There, there was a little edge, a little bit of truth in what Satan was saying. Yeah. He, he says your eyes will be open, and then
1: that's what we found out. Well, their eyes were open. Not the they way be. they thought they would be. No. no <laughs> Not the way exactly the same why. promised, but their eyes were open. Gosh, there's so... These is just so many window into sin here yeah how many times does someone say I'm going to go get what God has made to be good I mean, I'm thinking sexuality I'm thinking oh, yeah. all sorts of yeah. things where somebody tries to quote grow up and be mature and it's actually not growing up it's not being mature and they do it only to have their eyes open to say now something that had meaning doesn't have meaning that which I thought would deliver hasn't delivered Yeah. and, and my eyes are now open to what being an adult is yeah or feels like and yeah. it wasn't what I thought. Yeah. It wasn't what the world told me. Right. And you have that on display right here. Yeah. They knew they were they knew they were naked. They were, and I, I don't know if I've ever thought too much about why that word's important. I don't think the word naked necessarily just means unclothed, but right. think about the vulnerability of mm-hmm. nakedness. Think mm-hmm. about the sense of not being protected or at least being able to be scrutinized there's all sorts of things that come along with that for right, us right yeah and uh, it, it
0: certainly echoes going back up to verse 25 of, of chapter 2 the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed now here we see nakedness and then an immediate response of trying to cover up that nakedness and then, and, and we won't get into verse 8 and following but there's, uh, there's other ramifications that are going to come after this too so this is a uh, this isn't a comfortable knowledge of nakedness right this is a no they're not naked and unashamed anymore they're naked and shamed they're naked and fearful
1: so you know how the New Testament Paul will write about the flesh which you know is if we're in Christ your flesh has been crucified you know but the scriptures would also still reveal that our corruption is something we battle Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we've been rescued from the wrath due our flesh and corruption but we still have it show up and we see it we need to learn how to repent and turn from it yeah I mean, think of this self-covering yeah, as one of the greatest absolutely. underlying or undercurrents of our corruption yeah that whenever we feel it whenever we try to hide whenever we try to do a lie that covers something up whenever we we're self-covering yeah and that is a product of the original fall of man yeah yeah
0: yeah it's it's our uh, our natural way of our M.O., right? <laughs> this is how we relate because we're on this side of that. Is it
1: pushing too hard or just throwing too much into the text to say they probably were trying to cover not just what they didn't want God to see, but also what they didn't want each other to see? Yeah. No. I, well,
0: no. Yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> I was where your question was. I don't either. Is I don't it pushing it too far? I don't think so. And I, and I think that really gets unpacked in the, the verses that follow because not only is uh, conflict, tension, strife uh, separation, whatever word we want to use there, enter between man and God here, but we see it between man and man, or Adam and Eve, man and man and woman, right? And that, that's going to show up in these next couple of verses. Um, let me make one other observation is if we think big picture of Genesis 1-3 to 3. so Genesis 1 God makes everything and he makes man in his image and then at the end of chapter one, he blesses them and gives dominion, or be fruitful, multiply, and do the earth, have dominion over everything on my behalf, right? That's the end of chapter one. Chapter two, we zoom in, we see kind of a little bit more command given to, to man. We see God make man and woman. And then chapter three, we see a creature who is supposed to be under the dominion of man, come in and come to the woman who was made as Adam's helper, and then like he, he goes to the woman, and then she is there beside Adam. And so Adam is passive in this role, but there's a there's a total flipping of the creational design. Right? The creational design was that man and woman together would rule over the creatures, but then Adam is given this headship role over Eve. Well, he doesn't exercise that, <laughs> and really, he, he doesn't protect her. You could say he sub I don't know if he even submit is the right word, he passively. Yields doesn't fulfill his duty, but he yields to her who together they're yielding to a creature. So it's a total flipping of God's creational design. Whoa!
1: I'm thinking Romans 1 now. Like Paul saying, you worship the creature rather than the creator. I mean, that's what sin is. Sin is a total reversing, a flipping upside down of God's good design across the board. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Let me go here too. So Psalm 8... um, reflects on this making of, of, of man it says you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings you've crowned him with glory and honor you've given him dominion over the work of your hand so there's this this glory I think we may have mentioned this even two weeks ago but people are made glorious and Psalm 8 is a poetic song about that that reflects on Genesis 1 to 2 but then Hebrews 2 quotes Psalm 8 but then applies it to Jesus because Jesus is the, the true man, the, the second Adam, right? He, he does, you know, if, if Adam in chapter 3 doesn't protect his wife and submits to an evil creature who's doubting God, Jesus comes in as the second Adam, protects his bride, speaks to his bride, watches over his bride, and rules over all of creation, right? It's, it's the complete opposite of what Adam yes. does here. And I, I guess I just, I'm struck in this passage by the kind of that the worldwide cosmic view of seeing that, that Jesus yeah. is the second Adam who does the exact opposite of what Adam tragically does in what we just looked at. And
1: connecting everything we're looking at. We're about to study Romans with 46 yeah. participants in the workshop and that's where Paul goes right in Romans 5. Yeah. 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 And guilt came through one right. man but salvation for the many is going to come through the righteousness of the one. Yeah. The new yeah. man. Yeah. Christ himself. And... Super emphatic. Well, we're not going to go past verse seven. I'm thinking we'll have a three hour podcast for those because we're at 28 minutes. Ah. Uh, But I guess the thing I just want to encourage us or listeners, or I just lost my place Um, uh, to just just note of this the pattern that's on display here,
0: Uh
1: I think could conceivably be considered as something that repeats over and over and over yeah. in all of our daily lives yeah. almost on a daily basis. Yeah. Word questioned. Yeah. God denied or something absolutely false is ascribed to him that that you know. Right. My heart engages.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: To chase something I shouldn't chase that's rooted in a lie or rooted in a doubting of God. Yeah. Once I chase it it doesn't deliver, so therefore I have to cover myself, yeah. cover my tracks, make sure no one saw that, whatever, try to recover, yeah. and the consequence of relational disconnect and shame, it's never just isolated in my own heart. As yeah. much as I want to do that, it's yeah. sorry, everybody's affected. Yeah. So that's what stands out to me as we go through it a little slower here, is just in a microcosm. Right. It's the fall of man. This is this is what sin looks like, yep. temptation
0: looks like on a daily basis.
1: Yeah, and of course in the gospel we run to the solution of Christ in the gospel, uh-huh. which you've, you've just done that very helpfully. But what we said last week is don't forget to go backwards uh-huh. to the created good and the design of God, uh-huh. to the designer you can trust who's also your redeemer, but don't miss that it wasn't supposed to be this way. Yeah, yeah. God has given us a glorious gospel to remake that which has been marred by sin. Yeah. but this is what the marring feels like yeah
0: yeah and I'll, I'll just add one thought that I think hopefully just adds to what you're saying is that um, and it's maybe more than implicit I mean really what Satan's saying to Eve and, and Adam there is that if you want X right if you want real life happiness joy sad, you know whatever like I'm going to promise you something but it's it's not what God's commanded. It's, it's beyond or against what god like what god's commanded you is not going to get you what you really want correct and there's this separation between our fulfillment or our desires and what god has commanded um, but that goes against all of chapters one and two where we see that god is good he's made everything good he's given good commands and i mean i, I can think about that personally that temptation one way to think about temptation for me and for all of us is that Satan tempts us to doubt God's goodness yep. for us or, you know, in some, some form or way. That, that God's goodness is not connected to his commands or God isn't, he's holding out on me. There's goodness outside of what God has or something better out there. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that it sounds. <laughs> but
1: Our saunter through First Samuel and Saul, and, yeah. and, and Samuel says to him like, wasn't it enough? Like, didn't yeah. God give you enough? You're the anointed of God's people. Like, you, you're you the king. You've got all these riches. You've got a role. Isn't it enough? And that's ultimately the original temptation. Yeah. Is, y'all not got enough? Yeah. And that's the struggle of our hearts. So. Yeah. So we'll pick up next week in verse 8, which we will see not just the self-consequences, uh-huh. which is like the covering, but there are divinely... or. Uh, orchestrated divinely um, declared consequences for man woman and and for the serpent
0: absolutely until then